Have you ever been to an event that requires an RSVP? Now, RSVP, as you know, is French for respondez, s'il vous plaît. And my accent is terrible, but it means please respond. RSVP is French. Have you ever been to an event that required an RSVP? It's only certain kinds of events, maybe a work banquet or a wedding, or maybe you're the plus one, but how many people, if you get that request for RSVP, you are blanket yes. Doesn't matter, 100% you're there. Is anyone 100% yes? No. Is anyone 100% no? Doesn't matter who it is, it could be your wedding and you're like, I'm not going. <laughs> is anyone like 100% no? Okay, so everyone's in the middle. <clears throat> which means we all have reasons that are going to get us to say yes or no to an RSVP. For me, as I was thinking about it, there's three things, generally, that will get me to say yes to an RSVP. One is if the event itself is important. If it's important to the host, if it's important to Emily for me to go, well then, yes, I will RSVP and I will go. Secondly, if I know that people are there who I know and I get to spend time with, that's going to be a reason I'm going to say yes. And thirdly, if the food is good. <laughs> it's like, if the food is good, I don't care who you are, I'm there. And if I don't know anyone, just give me a seat by the table, and I will eat. And so if it's important, or if there's people I know, or if the food is good, I am probably, I'm probably going to be there. Now, you might have different reasons, your reasons might be similar. But sometimes we get this request for an RSVP and we don't actually want to go. And I'm not talking healthy boundaries. I'm not talking setting priorities. I'm saying you just don't want to go and it's hard to say no. And so what do you do? Well, some people would just say maybe and then not go. But other people, they'd break out the excuse. And the discussion question today is, what's the best excuse you've ever heard someone use for getting out of something? And I would love to hear a couple from you. What are some of the best excuses you've ever heard someone use for getting out of going to something? Just shout them out. Sorry? Having a baby. Having a baby. That's fair. <laughs> Your dog died, but you don't have one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Someone else, an excuse used to get out of something. A wedding. You can't go to this wedding because there's another wedding. Every other week there's a wedding. <laughs> okay. Uh, one of the best excuses I ever heard was a friend's dad. Uh, he wouldn't use this necessarily for big things, but sometimes he would call his workplace and say, I'm sorry, I can't make it into work today. I'm having trouble with my eyes. And then he would hang up the phone and he's like, yeah, I just can't see myself going to work today. <laughs> and it's like, that's, that's solid. <laughs> it's not real, but it's one of the ones that I just, I enjoy the most. But sometimes we just don't want to go to something and there's no good reason, so we pull out an excuse. And some people have taken this art of excuses and elevated it to an art form. It's become a badge of honor to get out of something. And I was reading a study the other day, it's called Renegotiating Faith, and it was talking about um, that there's a certain group of people that are increasingly committing less. That it, 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 you can ask them to commit, and it's less likely that you're going to get a yes up front. And it's for two reasons. Funnily enough, one of the reasons is a fear of missing out, or FOMO. 
How many people have heard of FOMO, fear of missing out? Lots of people, yeah. And so it's funny because you get an invitation, hey, do you want to come for dinner? You want to come to a wedding? Do you want to come to this? And this fear of missing out causes you to say no because you're worried that something better might come along. And social media has driven this, that, that you see pictures of all of these events that you don't get to go to. So you invite me to something, and I know what that is, but something better that I don't know might happen, so I'm going I'm to hold off committing. And secondly, there's a fear of, and it's called fear of passionless monotony. And this means that if I commit, it's going to be boring. And that's bad. So you invite me to something, and I'm going to be afraid that there's something better I'm going to miss, or that if I go, it's going to be bad, and therefore, I'm not going to commit at all. So it's this fear of missing out and this fear of passionless monotony. Has anyone ever wrestled with that? Some people yes, some people no. Uh, it can show up in relationships. You know, you're, you're, you're maybe in a relationship with someone and you don't want to marry the wrong person and so you, you don't commit. It can show up in careers. You know, you test out a couple things and you don't want to get locked into something that's going to be boring and, and so you pull back and you don't commit. It could show up in social events that if you get invited to a party, you don't want to go to a boring party or miss a better one and so you, you don't commit. For me, it often shows up with purchases. If I'm going to purchase something, I will research it endlessly. I will check the sales, I will check the prices, because I don't want to buy something and find out the next week that I could have gotten something better or the same thing for cheaper. And so for me, for purchases, sometimes I won't commit because I want to find the best thing for the best price. And it's not always bad. We should choose our spouse well, we should choose our job well, we should spend our money and our time well. It's good to do these things, but it's not wisdom that drives me. It's fear. See, I am sometimes afraid that I won't get the best. And at the heart of this for me is selfishness. That the best thing for me is for me to get the best thing. That my time is so valuable, my money is so valuable that I will only spend it on the best of the best and anything less isn't good enough for me. And so it's not wisdom, it, it's, it's selfish fear. Because I'm also terrified I might do something to miss out on the best. And so if I'm going to reply to an RSVP, it depends on how much fear is driving me. And Jesus today, he talks about an event with an RSVP. If you want to open your Bibles or your Bible app, or if you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles in the pew, and if you don't have a Bible at home, take that Bible with you, please. It's on page 492. We're looking at Luke chapter 14. Uh, and I'm just going to encourage you, we're going to walk through it this morning, so just hold your thumb there. Uh, we're going to look back at it, keep your Bible open, keep your app open, whatever it is. But here Jesus is sitting and he's having lunch. It's, it's been a church service in the morning. He was Jewish and so theirs was on a Saturday. So he had church in the morning. He goes to a guy's house for lunch. He heals someone, so of course everybody's super mad, which is weird. And then he notices that everyone's jockeying for position, that they want to sit at the best seat at the table. And Jesus encourages the crowd. He says, listen, live lives of humble love. Look for the needs of others to meet and give in a way that doesn't need anything back. Live lives of humble love. And there's a fellow that as he hears Jesus say this, he says, 
Well, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. In the NLT, it says it a little differently. It says, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. This, this fellow hears Jesus talking about the way to invite, and he's like, man, it would be amazing to be in the kingdom of God. And what I imagine is that Jesus looks at him, and he just kind of takes half a beat. He says, let me tell you a story about the kingdom of God. Once upon a time, as it were. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five oxen, five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out, so please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. And then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. So here, this is the word of the Lord. And since it is the word of the Lord, we want to make sure we hear well what Jesus is saying so that as disciples of Jesus, we can respond. And the first thing that we should notice is that this feast, this meal that Jesus is talking about is not a soup and bun luncheon. Uh, the New Testament was written in Greek, and the Greek word here literally is mega, big, great. This is not a soup and bun. This is a mega feast. It's an ultra feast. This isn't simple. This is extravagant. This is, this is hosted by someone who is rich and generous. It's a mega feast. And if you've ever planned a large meal, you know that you need a sense of how many people are coming, and even more so back then. They didn't have refrigeration and preservatives in the food in the same way that we do. So if you were going to host a large meal, what you'd do is you'd send out RSVPs and say, I'd like to invite you to a banquet. Can you make it? Because it's the responsibility of the host to ensure there's enough food for those who come. And then the people would say, yes, I can make it. And now it's the responsibility of the guest to ensure that the food prepared for them isn't wasted. So that's the, the double responsibility of the RSVP. The host provides for you, and you make sure that what is provided doesn't go to waste. And so they receive the RSVPs back, and the master sits down with the, the household or the servants, whoever else, and they say, okay, how many, how many cows, how many lambs do we need to kill? When do, we, when do we kill them so that they can be prepared and butchered for the meal? When do we light the fires? When do we start cooking them? Do we have enough flour? When should we light the ovens so that we can bake the bread so the bread is fresh and not stale? When do we harvest and wash the vegetables? When do we haul in water so the guests have enough to wash their hands? When do we tap the kegs? When do we set the table? There was a lot that went on, and they couldn't just put it in the fridge if someone was a no-show. There was a nowness to the meal. It was happening now. I like to imagine it like Bilbo's birthday in The Lord of the Rings. That's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Just, just the whole community is there in a richness of, of preparation, an extravagance in the invitation. This is a mega feast. 
basically everyone who is anyone was going to be there. So everything's ready, and they send out the invitation. And verse 17, it says that they all alike began to make excuses. Not just one or two or three. We have three excuses, but it says everyone. They all excuse themselves. Now, I have permission to tell this story. I have a legitimate seafood allergy. It's not severe, but it's real. And as some of you know, Emily and I lived in Korea for a number of years, and I love Korean food, but a lot of Korean food is seafood-based. And so I remember one time I was sitting at a meal, and in this dish were these little squids. And throughout the course of the meal, I was looking, and the ink spots on the squids were moving. And I realized these little guys were still alive. And of everyone at the table, I think the two of us were the only ones not planning on eating them. And so I had bonded with this fellow. <laughs> and I realized the ink spots are moving, and I say to the guy beside me, I'm like, I think these are still alive. And he goes, oh, yeah. Dip, dip. <laughs> I'm like, <gasps> So I've got nothing against Korean food. I love Korean food. And I'm okay if you like seafood. I'm just okay to have a legitimate out sometimes. <laughs> but Emily, however, is able to eat anything in the deep blue sea. But despite that, sometimes there still was a meal that she preferred to pass on. And so she would sometimes be at a school meal without me, and they would offer her a, a dish or a soup or whatever, and she would say, no, thank you, my husband has an allergy. <laughs> Which makes sense. You're like, oh, okay. What? <laughs> like, it sounds good at first pass, and then you realize it's not actually a thing. You're just trying to get out of whatever's happening right now. And in Jesus' story, there's three examples of excuses given. I just bought a field. I bought five pairs of oxen, and I just got married. Well, what do those things have in common? Well, number one, they were all on purpose. None of them happened accidentally, and none of them were surprises. I bought a field. I bought some oxen. I got married. I did this, and I put it on this night. Secondly, none of them were urgent. They would still own the field tomorrow. They would own the oxen tomorrow, and they'd still be married tomorrow. So there was no surprise, and there's no urgency. And so what they were saying to the master is, ah, something's come up. My eyes, I just, I got a problem with my eyes. I got this other wedding. And my husband's got an allergy, got some five oxen. Sorry, I just, I just can't make it. And see, I, I've, I've put together large meals often in a church in the past, and usually when you prep a large meal, you expect 10% plus or minus to show up. So if, if you invite 50, normally 45 to 55 is who you expect. That if a few people don't make it, it makes sense. But if you put on a large Christmas dinner or host a birthday party and every single person is a no-show, that's an insult. That's intentional. See, there was something there that was on purpose where these people said, no thank you. So if you think of your party being a no-show, I think we can understand how the master felt. Verse 21, it says, that when the servant tells him this, the master is angry. I would feel angry. I would feel insulted. 
was my duty to ensure that you had food. It was your responsibility to ensure that the food prepared didn't go to waste. And here, nobody shows up. And so out of this insult comes something beautiful. The master tells the servant, he says, go out and find the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame and bring them in. And this is a beautiful callback to verse 13 from last week where Jesus says to the Pharisee, hey, when you guys have a lunch, don't just invite the people that are going to invite you out next week. Invite the people who can't pay you back. So when you have a lunch, invite the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And here, Jesus is saying, okay, so when the kingdom of God, when the place where God is president, when I host a banquet, do you know who I'm inviting? I'm inviting the poor. I'm inviting the crippled. I'm inviting the blind. I'm inviting the lame. And here we see the master's heart where nothing was ever expected for attending the banquet. The only thing the master wanted was people to enjoy the hospitality. So find those, and even if they can never invite me back, get them here. Now I have a question. How was the servant able to get those people to the meal? It was ready. It was ready now. The meat was maybe on the spit. Maybe the first glasses were all poured. Everything was ready. How, were, how was the servant able to get all those people so quickly? I think it's because these were the people that had nothing else going on. They weren't going to say, excuse me, I've got this other thing, because they did not have any other thing. They were not the busy kind of people. And I just want to say that there's nothing wrong with fields, and there's nothing wrong with oxen, and there's nothing wrong with getting married. These aren't bad things, but they are bad excuses. And these are the people that had no excuse. They're like, yeah. I'm here tonight, just like I was here last night, and I'll be here tomorrow night, so sure, I'd love to come. These were the people that had nothing else going on. Their lives were empty enough that they had room for a banquet in the kingdom of God. I think it, for me, it reminds me of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus says things like, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are the hungry and thirsty, for they will be filled. And blessed means it's good. There's a richness to it. And how, how great it is when you mourn and are poor and are hungry and thirst. And frankly, I don't want that. I don't want a mourning, hungry, poor, empty, I'm home tonight kind of life. I want fields. I want oxen. I want to spend time with my family. I want options. But Jesus turns this around, and he says, blessed are those whose calendars are empty. Blessed are those who are in town this weekend. Blessed are those who haven't eaten yet. Blessed are those who have an evening with no plans because they have room for a banquet in the kingdom of God. Blessed are the empty. See, in response, unlike the first group, everyone here seems to show up, and they show up quick. And even still, there's room. So then the master says to the servant, go to the country roads and compel them to come in. And here's such a beautiful picture of grace 
that keeps searching. Grace that says there will be no half-empty kingdom. Keep going. There's more room. Keep inviting. A few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Kevin, he preached on how Jesus was lamenting over Jerusalem, how Jesus wanted, like a mother hen, to gather Jerusalem in, like a mother hen gathers her chicks, and Jerusalem would have none of it. And Jerusalem was the city of God, and there's this, this understanding that the city of God was the people of God, and here Jesus is telling a story about going out of the city, go beyond the walls, And we don't know if Jesus is meaning this, but what came to happen is that the gospel, the truth of Jesus, went beyond the Jewish people and out to the Gentiles, to you and to me as well. And there's a a going outness here. And it's not just going out. He doesn't just say go invite. What's the word here that the, the master used? He says, go and compel them. Someone described that as insistent hospitality. And why would you have to compel people to come to a banquet? Well, imagine you're walking down the street later this afternoon, and someone rolls up in a nice car, and they're like, hey, you want to come for supper? You'd be like, mmm. I feel like I've seen after-school specials about this. No, thank you. It just seems weird, and you're like, ah, I don't know this guy. Mm, I'm not really dressed for it. I don't have anything to bring. I wasn't expecting it. I'm sure other people could go to this thing. I'm a country bumpkin. I'm a farmer. I smell like it. I don't think you want me there. And the master says to the servant, compel them. And so it was the servant's job to say, there is room. And not just for someone like you. There is room for you. The master wants this place full. It doesn't matter. He understands the nature of the invitation. There is a place for you, and what he wants more than anything else is for you to come and simply enjoy the hospitality. Don't let this go to waste. We'd love to have you. Compel them. It's this picture of grace that will not accept a half-empty heaven. But the very last verse kind of brings a warning to it. We said before that English doesn't have the same difference in Greek that if I said, I love you, or I love you, you can't tell the difference between I love you one or I love you all. I do love you all, and I love you one. And here, the very last verse, verse 24, Jesus says, I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. The you is plural. And so it's almost like there's a play and there's like the master is saying this and the servant is saying this and, and the story goes on and then at the end, the character turns to the audience to give the moral and he says, the moral of the story is this, I tell all of you, not one who was invited will ever taste of it and seen. And there's this somber close here that those who are invited will never taste of it. And so what does this mean for us, Aldergrove? See, Jesus wasn't talking a long away picture of the kingdom. Just like the meal he described, there's a now-ness to it. And there was a now-ness back then, and there's a now-ness now. He's talking about an invitation now. And so we have a couple of options on how to respond. 
The first option is the first group, and if you've ever taken an English class, is the first group of people, are they good guys or bad guys? Protagonists or antagonists? They're the antagonists. It's the bad option. They're the warning story. But here's the question, and I, I asked a number of people, and I really wrestled, what was it that the first group of people did wrong? Take a look in the passage, see if you can puzzle. It was actually, I found this really, really hard. What at the heart of it was what the first group of people, what did they do wrong? Like if Jesus could tell them to change one thing, what was it that they should have changed? It wasn't the excuses. I, 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 well, let's give them the benefit of the doubt, that the marriage, the ox, and the fields were real. Those aren't bad things, they're just bad reasons. And so what was it that they did wrong? I don't think it was giving the excuses at the heart. I think it was simply that they didn't actually go. I think that's it. I think the first group of people, what they did wrong is they didn't go to the banquet. Now, who knows why they didn't go? Maybe they were having FOMO that some other banquet might come up. There's something better happening. Or maybe they were afraid that it would be boring or it would be awful. Maybe they felt like it wasn't important. Maybe they felt like they wouldn't know anyone. Maybe they felt like the food would be bad. But for whatever reason, they just decided not to go. See, they were happy with the invitation, but had no interest in participation. And I think that's all. They just didn't go. And what was it that the others did right? The poor, the blind, the lame, the country bumpkins? They went. I think that's it. I think that's the heart of it, is that Jesus is inviting us into the kingdom. And do we want to go? And so where are we in the story? To be like the first group is to love the idea of the kingdom of God, but fail to participate. And I just want to be clear, I'm not talking Sunday morning attendance here. I'm not talking joining a life group. I'm not talking about any of the other things because sometimes we can equate attending church events as being a good Christian. We're not talking about that. Hopefully, more and more, what happens here at Alder Grove, more and more looks like the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is much, much bigger than just what happens here. And so the question isn't, do you come on Sunday? But the question is, are you interested in participating in the kingdom of God? Or when it comes time for that invitation to turn into participation, do you say, ah, okay, actually, sorry, I've got a, there's a work thing that came up. You know, I've got some, some oxen I've got to try out. I'm actually out of town this weekend. Otherwise, I totally would have, you know, there's this field. And you know, my, 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 my friends and my family, uh, we've, got, we've got this thing we do. And so, I'm sorry, I'm just having trouble with my eyes. When it comes time to participate, do we just kind of kick up the excuses? And these aren't bad things but they are bad reasons not to participate. If we like the idea of Jesus, but are unwilling to change our plans and join him at the banquet, I think, I think that's what puts us in the first group. Because we dishonor everything that went into making it happen. The kingdom of God, if you're new to Jesus, it's a place where God is president, as it were. It's where his character is the culture. Forgiveness, grace, life eternal and everlasting. That's the kingdom of God. But just like the meal, it's not something that just happens. 
See, 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and he lived a perfect life, and this morning we just talked about part of that life. But then he, he died, though he was innocent, on a cross, the death of a guilty man. And three days later, he rose again, and in doing that, he defeated death and sin. And somehow, when we believe that that is true, we are offered forgiveness and an invitation into the kingdom. See, there's a, a death that made the feast happen, and a death that made the kingdom happen. And to pass on the feast is to dishonor the death that went into making it happen. And so are we willing to come into the kingdom? So what does it mean to join Jesus at the feast? First, it's to understand that the invitation is for you. And the invitation is for me. And just like the people in the story, we might kick up reasons where we feel like we can't come. Like, ah, Jesus, I don't know the guy. Oh, there's church people. I'm sure the, Jesus is more like for church people, right? I mean, like, I, I kind of smell. Do you know what I did last night? See, if you knew what I did last night, you wouldn't want me there. I don't have anything to bring. I should probably clean myself up first, and then I can come and, and hang out with Jesus, right? But <clears throat> let me say that grace is insistent in its hospitality, that there is a place at the table for you. And if you feel dirty and broken, if you feel like a country bumpkin, if you feel sick and unworthy, know that there's place, a place for you. Not a place for someone like you. A place for you. That what Jesus wants more than anything else is for you to come in and enjoy his hospitality. Just respond. Would you come? The whole point of the meal is to have people there. And see, to join Jesus at the feast is to open our lives. Not just to respond to the invitation, yeah, I love the idea of Jesus, maybe I'll get there eventually, but to say, okay, yeah, when the time comes, I'm going to be there. Whatever plans I had tonight, even if they're no plans, and sometimes no plans are my favorite plans, but I'm going to give up my no plans, and I'm going to come and I'm going to spend time with Jesus. And so what does it look like for you to spend time with Jesus during the week? To talk to him. See, there's no feast without the master. There's no kingdom without the king. And so to respond to the feast is to set aside time to be with Jesus. So blessed are the empty, Jesus says, because they have room for the kingdom of God. But the rich should be careful. There's nothing wrong with being rich. But being rich means you have more and more opportunities to put more and more things in your life to the point where you might find yourself having double booked the kingdom. Blessed are the empty. The rich should be careful. So let's join Jesus at the feast because this is a mega feast. We've talked before about potlucks. I love a good potluck. But I gotta be honest, if I had to choose between potluck and really fancy catered meal, I might choose really fancy catered meal. Because there's something about extravagant food that I didn't pay for. <laughs> and this is extravagant grace that we did not pay for. See, Jesus is saying the poor have nothing to bring. The lame have nothing to offer. The blind 
or welcome. Because you aren't providing what is being served at this feast. The master is. And so what that means is when we come to the kingdom of God, we do not come with what we bring. We come and receive what we are offered. And we drink deep of grace and we feast on the goodness of God that is being offered to us independent of anything we've ever done. This is not a ticketed event. But it's an RSVP, and would you like to come and feast on the goodness and the grace of God prepared just for you? It's not a measure of your life and what you bring. It's a measure of the wealth and the generosity of the Master. And I'm going to invite the band up. Because the, the, the other thing that's with the kingdom, even like when I consider an RSVP, is, is who's doing the inviting, how important is the event, how good is the food, but also who's going to be there. And one thing, I'm just going to be honest with you, that I learned about myself in high school, is that I treated the people I liked one way and the people I wasn't really interested in hanging out with quite a different way. And since high school, I have recognized my tendency to do that. That there are some people who I think are fun and interesting and I want to hang out with them, and some people that I really, honestly, I'd rather not. But who does Jesus say to compel? Who does Jesus work really hard to spend time with? It's the very kinds of people that I would work a little hard not to. And if Jesus is working hard to spend time with people that I wouldn't, I think I need to lower myself to Jesus' level. And part of being in the kingdom is, parting, part, is, is, is sitting with the other people there. So I encourage us to be a community of humble love for each other. Now be genuine here. Please do not head out of the service and go up to someone and be like, you know, Jesus hung out with lame people. I want to be like him. Do you want to have lunch? Don't do that. Allow God to work in your heart first, and maybe the response to this happens in two weeks. But to say, okay, who is the person that I might avoid that Jesus would compel? And can we live lives of humble love here at Alder Grove where we, we connect and we grow in relationship even with the people that maybe, if we're honest, they wouldn't be top on our list? And finally, as we head into the summer, I imagine our schedules will wind down a bit, and that's good. But one thing I remember hearing is that one of the good things about the pandemic is people realized how busy they were. And once the pandemic has kind of come out, people, I think, have just gotten just as busy again. And I would encourage us, as we head into September, not to get quite so busy, but to leave emptiness in our schedule for what God might want to invite us to. So let's not get quite so full. So let's wind down, have a beautiful summer, and in summer, let's start up slowly. Not with fear that we're going to miss out, but on in anticipation of what God has for us. Because this is a mega feast. And there's plenty of room at the table.